is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Get revved up for another episode of The Mulberry Lane Show. Hey, it's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and thanks for joining us right here. That's right, Rachel. Here is where you catch up with your favorite artists, songwriters, musicians, or celebrities, and get up close and so personal. Hear about the creative process in a way you'll get nowhere else. That's right, Allie, and your radio sisters have the access, and you get a behind-the-scenes perspective before the lights, cameras, press releases, hair, makeup, and wardrobe. (laughs) So you guys definitely hang out with us right here for the next hour and you're gonna hear from these guests all right let's get to it the mulberry lane shows on celebrity stories songs you're gonna have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now well, think Captain Underpants and Dogman. Today, you'll meet New York Times bestselling author Dave Pilkey. You're going to hear from Dave today about the brand new book, Dogman, Lord of the Fleas, which had a three million copy first printing, which makes it the biggest book of this fall. Dave also shares how he developed the Captain Underpants character in second grade. He's known as the savior of the reluctant readers. So if you have a reluctant reader in your family, Dave really gets to the heart of what what draws kids in to want to learn to read. He also shares some creative advice, how to keep your creativity alive with the demands of everything out there today. So a great chat with Dave today. He really opens up about his process. Okay, sisters, who else? Well, then you're going to go from meeting an author to getting up close and personal with a film director. You're going to meet David Cunningham. He's the director of the new film, Running for Grace. And I personally really relate to this film because it's about adoption. This film is not only about the power of adoption, but they're celebrating adoptive families throughout the whole release of this film. So David walks you through what the film is all about, a lot of the behind-the-scenes grace moments that happen during the filming, and the film also explores the effects of racism and class systems and finding hope in hopeless situations. Yes, and David really opens up about his journey into the film world and how you really have to listen to that voice inside of you and follow the dreams that it leads you to. Yes, inspirational chat with David today. Mm-hmm. Finally, sisters, who's up next? We'll then get to know another New York Times bestselling author, Mary Kay Andrews. Her latest book is also an audiobook, and it's called The High Tide Club. Now, Mary Kay is the queen of beach books. So if you're going away on any tropical vacation, you've got to take this with you. Today, Mary Kay talks about how the characters' voices come alive in her head while she's writing. And there's something that she says at the very end of this interview that is really going to inspire you on your journey. She speaks to listening to that inner voice and not letting anyone else define you, that you should be the one to write your story. A great reminder from Mary Kay today. All right, well, before we get into it, Allie, you had a uh, toothpaste fail this week. I certainly did, and (laughs) it was an embarrassing one at that. And you're gonna share it, right? I am. Well, it was Friday morning, and I usually use Sensodyne toothpaste. So I went to grab for it, and it was upside down. So I put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, started brushing my teeth, and 
ooh, it just did not taste right. <laughs> it was kind of like... The first clue. Yes, it was kind of tingly and numb, but bland at the same time. I was like, what in the heck is this? I turned the tube over. It was Desiden diaper rash cream. Oh. You guys, can you believe I did that? <laughs> okay, Allie, so you weren't quite minty fresh, huh? I was not. <laughs> okay, word to the wise, always look at the front of the toothpaste tube before you squeeze that toothpaste on your toothbrush. Yes, good advice. Yep, pro tip from Allie, <laughs> who learned the hard way. <laughs> I did what I can to help you out. Now you're going to get some different kinds of pro tips from best-selling author Dave Pilkey. And and these might be a little bit more beneficial than the toothpaste pro tips. That's right. <laughs> Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. We'll meet you right around the corner. creator of the crazily popular Captain Underpants series and Dogman books. Dave Pilkey is here right now to talk about his craft, his new book, Dogman, Lord of the Fleas, out now, and what inspires his storylines. Welcome, welcome to the show, Dave Pilkey. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very good at singing. That was awesome. Okay, so now first off, you have to explain Dogman to someone who hasn't read the series and what fans have to look forward to in Dogman, Lord of the Fleas. Okay, well, Dogman is basically it's a graphic novel series about kind of about a dog and a cat and a kitten. And, um, <laughs> and they're, they're all trying to, very hard to be better versions of themselves. And, um, and, and in the new book, Dogman, Lord of the Fleas, I was kind of inspired by one of the themes in um, William Golding's Lord of the Flies. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of a takeoff on that a little bit, but it's a brand new story. It's really a story about this cat who is a bad guy who's really trying to change his nature. So now this was a three million copy first printing. So when you found that out, what was your reaction? Um, <laughs> I was very overjoyed and, and maybe a, a little bit worried. Okay. <laughs> So, are you a worrier? I am a worrier, okay. but I, I was just hoping that, that everyone would, uh, would like it as much as, as much as I do, and I was hoping that there, there wouldn't be a whole lot of remaindered copies. Well, I don't think you have to worry about that. So, <laughs> what do you think it is about the books that resonate? Now, it resonates with both adults and kids, so what's the magic? Well, I think kids relate to the dogs and the cats, you know, kids love animals, and, and actually adults do too. And the stories are funny, and they, they move along very quickly. And I throw in some jokes for the adults too, okay. because I, I always loved it when I was a kid, and my, my parents would read to me. And so I, I, I'm hoping that we'll get parents and kids reading the books together, because there's, there's something for everybody in the book. So now when you put things in there that you think are funny, are you ever surprised at what people find funny? That, you know, some <laughs> things that maybe you didn't intend to be funny that people find really funny? That does happen from time to time. Okay. Um, but usually we're on the same page, okay. which, which is a, a good thing. Uh -huh. So now you developed your Captain Underpants character in second grade. So That's right. So did you ever think that it would become a best-selling book and a series and, and everything that it has become? And when I think about, or any of us think about what we were doing in second grade, we wouldn't have the nerve to pitch that as an idea. 
So <laughs> how did all that how did all that yeah. come about? Well, I in second grade I had a lot of challenges. I, I had um I wasn't doing real well in school, I was misbehaving and I was diagnosed with what they now call ADHD okay. and I had dyslexia and my teacher was just she didn't know what to do with me, so she just put me <laughs> she put me on the hallway. <laughs> and I had nothing to do out there and so I just started I got some paper and pencils and started creating characters and Captain Underpants was born in the hallway in second grade. And so, also, so you know, actually owe that teacher a lot, really. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, something that I thought was so bad at the time actually ended up being a good thing for me. Uh-huh. So then you would sit out in the hall and create these characters. They were probably your friends and your company as well. They were, and, and they were a way for me to connect with the kids who were still in the classroom. <laughs> okay. They were my friends, and I, and I wanted to still have a relationship with them. So when I was allowed to come in the class, I would bring my comics with me, and I, I would share them with the kids. And instead of being the bad kid in the hallway, I was the kid making the, the books. And so it was, it was a, a new identity for me, which okay. was nice. If you've just joined us, you're listening to best-selling author Dave Pilkey here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So now you have been called the savior of the reluctant reader, and obviously you were a reluctant reader yourself. So what have you done to draw those readers in, do you think? Well, I think, you know, one thing about Dogman is it's a graphic novel. Um, So the text, instead of being large blocks of text, you know, page after page, it's all broken up into panels, and each panel has a picture that accompanies the text. And I I think kids really respond to that because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're trying to develop their vocabulary, they're trying to learn to read, which is basically a, a whole other language that, that they're learning. And when you have words and pictures together, you know, the, the pictures give contextual clues to the meanings of the words, which, which really help not only help kids to learn to read, but it, it helps with their vocabulary acquisition as well. Uh-huh. And I, I think that's one of the things that has made the series so popular. And it, it draws them in, really. Yeah, yeah. So now you are all about people living creative lives. And one of the purposes of this show is to make sure people stay in touch with their creativity. So right now, if you could give two pieces of advice, one for the adults who may have given up their creative passion or something they love to do because of, you know, being an adult and time demands and all of that. And then advice to kids on how to keep their amazing kid creativity alive. Okay. All right. (laughs) First for the adults, um, I would say... To, you have to do it. You have to immerse yourself into it. Whatever your creative passion is, you, even if you don't know, if, if you're, let's say you're a writer, start writing. Even if you don't have an idea, just start writing because you'll get more accomplished by doing something than by doing nothing, of course. And, um, and you never know what you'll come up with. And I think for kids, you know, I think reading for fun is a huge, huge thing. It's what changed my life. Okay. And there's been so many studies that have been done that show that kids who read for fun every day and who make it a habit, they do better in school, they have better communication skills, they're kinder, more empathetic people. They, they develop all these skills that are so not, a, not just important in school but in life. It's, it's a real game changer, and it helps with creativity too. So, so I think setting aside a half hour every day just to read for fun is like really really important okay great advice and then before we let you go the howl with laughter tour what happens on the tour oh the howl with laughter tour is it's basically um, a huge event that celebrates literacy it's great for kids and great for parents families and i'm going to be talking about my childhood and how i turned a lot of my challenges into into positive things uh-huh. and i'll be doing lots of drawings and giving away prizes and there's music and fun I, it's, it's going to be a great time awesome 
the Captain Underpants is now a series on Netflix. How involved were you and what do you think of it? Uh, I was not too involved, but okay. I know all the people who were involved, and I trust them completely, and they did a fantastic job. And I, I'm so happy with uh, everyone at DreamWorks. So the movie came out last year, and that was a big hit, and, and mm-hmm. I just could not be happier. What a cool thing to watch that come to life for you. And thank you for what you've done for literacy and kids and drawing them in. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was you. great talk to you. Take care. That's best-selling author Dave Pilkey. Make sure you check out his brand new book, Dogman, Lord of the Fleas. When we come back, you're going to hang out with movie director David Cunningham talking all about the new film, Running for Grace. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Entertainment, arts, and interviews. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, he comes from a long line of missionaries, but David Cunningham has chosen filmmaking to carry on the legacy of his family. Now, he has been a filmmaker and director for big-budget studios like Fox, Disney, and ABC, and David's latest film, Running for Grace, is a family-friendly film under his own studio, Hanua Studios, out of Kona, Hawaii. Now, there's much to talk about with David, the film, his studio, his personal creative processes, and how he is living out the legacy of his missionary family. Welcome to the show, David Cunningham, here we go, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's an awesome introduction. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, well, let's first talk about the missionary legacy of your family. Now, this goes way back. Sure, sure. A legacy of seven generations of ministers and missionaries on one side of my family and four on the other. That's a lot to live up to. Yeah, you know, I have a great-grandfather who built 13 churches out of a covered wagon, a great-uncle who was a prisoner of war in China during World War II because he stayed with his congregation there. Wow. My grandmother was the uh, first woman-ordained minister in her denomination, and my parents started an uh, interdenominational organization called YWAM, or Youth with the Mission. Yeah, so I grew up with that legacy and traveling the world a lot and seeing um, amazing people doing amazing things in a hurting world. But here I came along as a, as a young man and felt like I had a calling for filmmaking. Okay. And that I was supposed to engage with popular culture and, and be a part of that conversation. And I would take that same legacy into the whole arena and sphere of popular culture. Okay, so then how did you discern that? Well, it took a while to kind of piece it together because then I, I went to my dad as, I don't know, 14 years old or something and said, hey, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be a filmmaker. And he said, oh, you mean like Billy Graham movies? And I said, no, I, I feel like it's supposed to be Hollywood. And at the time, I didn't have the language to say, but as I said a moment ago, I would say it's clearly a calling towards culture shaping. Okay. And so I set my sights on uh, USC because I thought that was the place to go and Fought my way in there and graduated from there and started my own production company and now we're eight films later and shot around the world and still lots to learn but uh, one step at a time. You make films you want to make, faith-based or family-based films. How important was establishing your own studio for being able to do that? Well, you know, my first couple of movies I made were independent and they were definitely my voice and the second one I made was a World War II movie starring Kiefer Sutherland called Two End All Wars. Okay. And, and it was a bigger indie film, but it was still definitely my voice. 
And that put me on the map with the studios, and they hired me, and for about a decade I directed for the studios as a hired gun director, and they sent me to cold and dark places like Canada and Eastern Europe. <laughs> I, was to, I wanted to fight my way back home, not only because I, I love the place of Hawaii, but also be able to tell stories that are close to my heart. Right, right. And I'm very proud of some of the movies I made when I was working for the studios, I could be wrong. We moved back to Hawaii very intentionally, and we started having kids, and we wanted to start something that would give us that voice, and also to, frankly, help the creative industry here in Hawaii, which okay. which is really more geared towards facilitating large studio films that come for portions of a movie. Jurassic Park, uh-huh. Hawaii 5.0, there's some key ones like that, but there's so many stories here, and there's so many environments. We have 11 of the 13 climate zones right on our island. So we can shoot Mars, you know, and the Mars landscape. We can shoot jungle and beach and desert in the same day. Right. So we partnered with the government of Hawaii and have built a studio, and uh, this is one of the first movies to come out of it. If you've just joined us, you're listening to director David Cunningham talking all about the movie Running for Grace. Okay, now you've also gotten awards from Congress for this studio partnership. Yeah, yeah. you know, that was, that was really fun. Um, what we did is we took the high-tech startup model of accelerators where you get behind a team that has a great concept or a great vision and you, you invest in them and you surround them with a brain trust and you accelerate them. And the high-tech industry has been doing this for a long time. And I had the crazy idea to apply that to filmmaking and it really stuck. From an economic development standpoint, we've been awarded three years in a row from the U.S. Congress as one of the more innovative economic development and concepts in the nation. And we sent this to the White House, and we got these awards, and then people gave us awards for winning awards. So, <laughs> so it's, it's been fun. Wow. So, okay, so now let's talk about the film Running for Grace. Share with us the themes of the movie and what drew you to make this movie. Yeah, so... What drew me to make it initially is, so I wanted to set out to make a movie that everybody in our family actually wanted to watch. Okay. And the themes of this one is, is really about the power of adoption and belonging, identity, and pursuing your dreams and not giving up and being tenacious about that, whatever that might be, and trusting that God will bring the grace if you do that. But this is set in the 1920s Hawaii, when Hawaii was segregated and had a large immigration population. And there was a federal law at the time related to racial integrity where it was actually illegal to adopt children of mixed ethnicity. Wow. So our boy, Joe, was born into this world who is half Japanese, half Caucasian. He's orphaned and uh, rejected by both communities. And a doctor comes to town, played by Matt Dillon, and takes him under his wing to have him run medicine on his behalf up the mountain to the immigrant coffee pickers. And uh, a forbidden love blossoms with the plantation owner's daughter, Grace, and they have to take on society as a, as a father-son role to achieve his dreams. So it's got romantic themes to it and adventure theme to it. But in terms of messaging, it really is about identity and the power of adoption and how it can not just transform one child's life, but it can actually transform the community. Yes. Yeah, Allie adopted a, a daughter from China. So, so I can, she can I have, attest to that. <laughs> I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so awesome. And you know what we've been doing, Allie? Uh-huh. I just finished. I just got off the plane last night, but we did 13 red carpet 
benefit screenings for families who have adopted. Oh, awesome. And basically what we would do is we'd have the movie stars there, and, and we would have families that, like you, have championed and have stepped out uh-huh. and have walked the red carpet with us and honor them and bless them. That's an and awesome have, idea that you guys did yeah, that. Yeah. What we've done is we're continuing that in the digital realm where you can go to our website and you can gift a digital download to the adopted family. We show yes. how you can do that online. Yeah, where do you go yeah. to do that? So runningforgracemovie.com okay. or you can go to our Facebook page. Yeah. And it will walk you through how to do it and how to download it and give it to them. You know, everyone knows someone in their community that's adopted. Right. We just want them to pay it forward, you know. That's, that's great. Awesome. And I love what you were saying because it is so true that before we adopted, you kind of think it would just change our family. But after she's here, it has changed our extended family and our community and all of my friends. And I mean, it's like a ripple effect. Yeah, you know, that's so amazing. And is how God works, right? Uh-huh. You step out and, and transformation and, you know, Jesus was adopted. You know, right, talk right. about an example. Yes. Just, and of course, there's the bigger theme of all of us being adopted into his kingdom, but it's just an amazing, beautiful thing to see what God does when someone steps out like that. And, and our story is about a little boy who has everything going against him and he ends up being a, a pillar and a leader in his community. Gotta take a quick break. Gonna be back with more from director David Cunningham. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. celebrities, and everything in between. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show in the middle of a chat with director David Cunningham, who directed the movie Running for Grace. In the first segment, he talked all about the approach to the movie and part of his creative process. We're going to get right back right now with David, dive a little deeper into the movie and his creative process. Probably a lot of neat things you've seen straight through from the beginning of the filming all the way to the premieres and everything. You've probably seen God's hand kind of working through many ways. Yeah, definitely. You know, every movie is like a massive leap of faith. You guys can relate to when you start an album and and you're like, okay, where do we begin? And, And then you start diving into it. The process is tough, and so it keeps you on your knees a lot. And what I don't want to be is be a hack. I want my work to be inspired by the Lord, and and the moment you start making it about yourself, you know, you, you could lose that inspiration. And how do you find that place again when you feel like you've drifted from it? How do you get back to that center of creativity where you know the creativity is aligned? Correctly? Yeah, well, you know, it's so ironic that the, the main kind of opposition spirits that, that we're engaged with in popular culture is, is greed and pride. But yet, to be creative and truly tune in, you need to be generous and you need to be, you know, have humility. And not just with your financial resources, but generous with your gifts, right? And you both know what that's like, singing together and where you're deferring to one another when it's appropriate and all that. And 
in your actual execution of your craft. So I think that's a theme that I always try to reflect on, and I can't say I've gotten it right all the time. But, you know, Lord, guide me today. How can I be a director and direct with humility? And, and what does that look like today? And when all this stuff is coming at you and many other people are, are reacting in different ways, so that's something that I try to kind of ground myself in. I'm blessed to have an amazing family and, and some great teams around me and I've been working with me many, many years. So I can't get away with stuff intentionally. You know, right. I have them in my life yes. to yes. remind me of who I am. And, hey, Cunningham, remember your great-grandfather? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you can't run away from it. It's weaved in yeah. your family. Yeah. So now on the show, we do like to encourage people to get in touch with their creativity because we feel like that is the place where, you know, you can find joy and inspire your life and others. So how do you continue to stay inspired and, you know, come up with new paths, new things that you want to do? You know, one of my emphasis at film school was cinema history. And I wanted to dive in and see where, where the faith community was at in the entertainment industry. And I mentioned earlier, you know, kind of this rejection of the entertainment industry early on. And there was a, a quote that my dad shared in the 1950s when a lot of the Bible movies started to connect, you know, the, the Ten Commandment type of movies. Uh-huh. And one Hollywood exec wrote to a Bible school and said, would you send us graduates so that we can write more movies about the Bible? And his response was, we'd rather send our graduates to hell than to Hollywood. And there was this full-on opposition to the industry. Now, I, I don't mean to harp on that in this interview, but I think it's important for context for people to kind of get that we rejected this and, and actually cursed the few Christians that were in the industry, you know, just yeah. by all of that. Uh-huh. But then, you know, later on in music and movies, we started getting engaged first. I, I think it was music first, you know, that started getting more and more involved and uh, more of an expression. And then movies and, and a lot of our younger listeners would not really remember those roots per se. But we then started trying to make films like Hollywood, try to emulate Hollywood. Uh-huh. And take movies and concepts that have already been done and, and somehow throw Jesus in the mix and expect it to be inspired. And we hadn't really earned our way there. So I'm excited that these in recent years there's been a real growth in films that are more quality, that are engaged. We are earning our way back to the table. Okay. So I think to answer that question, you know, get a little bit of the context historically. And so I think the key is really thinking what is on the Lord's heart and touching base with that and making that your axe head and going back to that axe head and saying, okay, what did you say and why did you say that? And, and remembering that that brought you to that place. And when it gets tough, revisiting that. So I think that's really key. And there's other things, you know, in your own relationships. Like if I have an argument with my wife and I then go on the set and I, I've got this clouded kind of thing, like I'm not right with her, uh-huh. it kind of impacts my creative process. And, you know, it's not some kind of rabbit foot thing. I'm just talking about trying to be available, you yeah, know. Open. Mother Mary, she didn't ask to be the mother of the Son of God. But she was available, right? Right. And God used her in an amazing way. And it was it was just because she was there and she was available. And like, use me however. And I think that's how storytelling is. It's like, okay, Lord, use me. I'm a storyteller. I want to tell what's on your heart. And, and hopefully that's in sync. And... Surfing helps, too. 
Uh, (laughs) I bet bet you're pretty good growing up in Hawaii. That's awesome. I love what you said. You know, we come from an extremely close family. So I really related to what you said when we're not getting along with each other. We have that same problem. It's almost like we have to like say, okay, let's work through this before we do something else together. Otherwise you just feel like, you know, closed off, closed off and something's not right. Yeah. And you know, if this is a calling, it's going to be tested. The heat's going to come up. But if it's a calling, then you need to have the same mentality that others do that are going to extreme places around the world and willing to risk it all and willing to sacrifice. And, you know, I think our form of persecution in, for those called the popular culture is, is identity. It's your reputation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've taken some real hits, and it was hard. And then I had to, like, reflect on, of course, this is par for the course. Yeah. Movie director David Cunningham here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I have one more question about the movie. The storyline for the movie, is it based on a true story? The context is true in terms of the segregation and, and not being able to adopt racially integrated kids. And a lot of the whole historical world that is there is true. But the, the actual storyline itself is something we came up with. And something that I, I want to highlight for your listeners, too, is in addition to Matt Dillon, we have... Jim Caviezel stars in the film, of course, okay. played yes. Christ. Uh-huh. And then um, Ryan Potter plays Joe, and Ryan is, is in Beast Boy in the upcoming Teen Titans, and okay. he was the voice of Big Hero 6. Juliet Mills, just a, an amazing cast that came around this film, so, you know, including Matt Dillon, as I mentioned earlier. Awesome. So it was a real privilege to be able to direct these guys and We've been getting great reviews. She's got a great review from Variety on their performances. So, yeah, I wanted to check it out. So what do you hope people take away? Well, one, go see the movie. If it's not in a theater near you, it is available in the digital platforms, iTunes, for example, and uh, there's video on demand in the premium section right now. So it's really key with the multi-conglomerates entertainment industry just taking up so much space, you know, and... It's really tough for the little guys out there right now, the small independent films sure. that are trying to have an independent voice. And I heard a stat somewhere that once Disney merges with Fox, that they're going to have like a 40% wow. market share globally in terms of determining what we consume. And that's just one conglomerate. And so it's really tough out there to get your voice kind of broken through. And so would love it if people could rally behind this film download it, go to the theater, watch it, tell your friends about it, gift it to adopted families and celebrate that. But I think in terms of a theme, I think it's the power of adoption and we all need to belong to a family and your last name is important to who you are Mm -hmm. and grounding you to your community. And, you know, the Lord gave us his last name and I think that's such a key and critical piece. And then I guess finally it's about not giving up, that if, if you have a dream and you have a calling or something, that you are tenacious and you go after it, and that the Lord will give you grace as you do. Love that message. David, we want to thank you for the encouraging words and bringing this beautiful film to the digital space and theaters. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a real pleasure. That's director David Cunningham here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Make sure you check out the new film, Running for Grace. When we come back, you're going to hang out with New York Times bestselling author Mary Kay Andrews and hear about her new book, The High Tide Club. 
keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. you covered the mulberry lane show now here's mulberry lane there's nothing like a good read by the beach and perennial best-selling author mary Kay andrews has just the book her latest the high tide club is a page turner that will have you ignoring that pina colada perched right next to you at that beach resort now mary Kay is here now to let you in on the high tide club welcome Welcome to the show, Mary Kay Andrews. Thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you with us. So now, first off, you are known as the queen of the beach read. So you have to let us in on what makes a great beach read. Well, I think there are several elements. And the first one is, I think, a beach read has to transport the listener or the reader to someplace they want to be or they've never been before. So I want to put you right in the world of my book. I want you to feel those waves lapping at your ankles and smell the salt air and feel the warm summer sun beating down on your shoulders. Um, And then I think uh, another aspect of it is characters that you can relate to and that you can cheer for um, and who seem real to you, so real that you feel like you should turn to them and say, hey, you know, who's going to the bar next? And then also a page turner, a plot that keeps you guessing, keeps you wondering what happens next. So the plot has to really move. It has to be fast-paced. There's no time for a lot of um, what we writers call throat clearing or thumb sucking. Okay. You've got to keep that moving. <laughs> okay. So now it seems that the setting for you is very important to the story. And a lot of your novels are in the same setting. So talk about why the setting is important for you. Um, I, have to, I have to know the setting intimately. And my books are mostly set in the South because I've never lived anyplace else. Okay. But I think uh, hopefully the setting is one that um, is universal. So everybody, the High Tide Club is set on a fictional remote barrier island that's only accessible by car. I think we're all intrigued with the idea of life on an island and what that would be like. And so, you know, that's important to make the reader want to be there with me and wonder what's happening next. Okay, and can you give us a quick overview of the story, what we're in for? The story starts uh, on the eve of World War II, so it's October of 1941. Four young girls, three of them are 19 and one is 13 years old. They're gathered for an engagement party, and uh, World War II is on the horizon. The United States hasn't entered the war yet, and it's midnight, and the girls are standing in a remote part of Talisa Island, and they're digging a grave. Mm-hmm. And then the story jumps forward to the present day, when 99-year-old Josephine, who was 19 when the book opens, is searching for the descendants of her oldest, dearest friends. She wants them to take over ownership of her island and stewardship of it to keep it from being developed. And, of course, the protagonist 
Brooke is the one who's been chosen to find those girls. Josephine wants to make amends and right old wrongs. And you'll find out what those are as the book unfolds. Okay. How do these stories come to you? How do you approach your creative process? You know, lots of times I start with a title. And so with the High Tide Club, I thought, well, who are these girls? Well, they were from wealthy, privileged families from around Boston. And so in the 1920s, they start elementary or nursery school together. They go to boarding school together. And whenever they're together at the beach, so whether it's somebody's winter home in Palm Beach or summer home in Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket, or on this island off the coast of Georgia, whenever there's a full moon and a high tide, they go skinny dipping. And so that kind of ties them together. Okay. So as you're developing these characters, do their voices come alive in your head? Yeah, they really do. And once I've created them, my job is just to keep typing as they tell me their story. Okay. So So you feel like it comes from almost a place outside of you. Yeah, I really do. You know, I've heard other writers describe it as the girls in the basement just send up the stuff. (laughs) You know, it comes from somewhere, and I guess it comes from your collective knowledge or imagination. Uh And then some of it comes from things you've observed or things you're curious about. And so all of those kind of get, I don't know, woven together into something that resembles a plot. Okay. So now there's an audio version of the book read by noted voice actress Kathleen McInerney. So what is it like to have the version of your book read by someone else, you know, who does the voices of your characters? It's great. Um, She has to do it for all these multiple characters. So she has to come up with the voices of a 99-year-old, very haughty heiress. And then she has to come up with the voice of a three-year-old little boy in the present time. I could never do the job she does. She takes the words that I put down on a page and she brings them to life. Well, right now on the Mulberry Lane Show, you're listening to New York Times bestselling author, Mary Kay Andrews. And if you're a writer or an aspiring author, you're getting some awesome inspiration and some tips here with your radio sisters. So what advice would you have for someone who is in a creative field and encourage them on their creative journey? Well, I think you have to really stop making it your dirty little secret. You don't have to advertise it to the world at large, but you have to dedicate yourself to it. You have to set aside time for it and don't let anybody else rob you of that time. Whether you're a morning person and you say, I'm going to write songs or paint or do whatever you do, no one else gets to have that time. That's your time. And the other thing is you have to believe, if I don't believe in myself, nobody else will. So I have to have the courage to say, this is my dream and I own it. Nobody else gets to own it. I define it and nobody else gets to define it and nobody else gets to limit me. You know, as a woman and as a mom and now a grandmother, I've had to make that my mantra because people want to take the dream away from you and they want to tell you, well, you're not this, you're that. And um, finally, at the ripe old age of 64, I've learned to say, "Mm -mm, nope, this is me. I love it. Thank you for your advice and for bringing the High Tide Club to our show. My pleasure. You say what you want to say.
Well, that was Mary Kay Andrews, best-selling author. Check out her book and audiobook, The High Tide Club. And thanks, Mary Kay, for bringing your wise words of wisdom to the show today. Yes, and if you're anything like me, you're definitely taking some nuggets of advice from Mary Kay on your journey. Some good ones. Okay, Rachel, who else do we need to thank? Well, then, a big dog man and Captain Underpants salute to author Dave Pilkey. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Dave, thanks for bringing your brand of kids literature to the show today. Love your thoughts about getting kids to read. And thanks for sharing your tips on creativity. Allie, who else? Okay, Rachel, finally, we have to thank movie director David Cunningham. Well, you guys have got to make your way to the theater or get a digital download of his new film, Running for Grace. It's a beautiful story. It's a story about adoption, which really hits home for me. David has such a beautiful outlook on life, and we want to thank him for sharing that with us today. That's right. Well, hopefully you got your creative mojo going here, and we'll be right here, same time, same place, next week to inspire you once again. It's your radio sisters wrapping up another episode of The Mulberry Lane Show. Oh, yeah. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, remember, create where you are. And that's a wrap. Can't you hear what I'm saying? I love you.